How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? How many of you have not? Christmas is coming, you know that, right? It's going to be here before you know it. You only have a short amount of time to get it done. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. Now the traditional Christmas story is normally found in Luke chapter 2. That's the one we'll be reading tomorrow night to the children during our Christmas Eve candlelight service. But this morning I wanted to read the account from Matthew chapter 1. By the way, Glenn and Ann Delery, I'm going to call you out right here. Their youngest son, Wesley, got married last night. They are in town from Belgium for a short stay with us. So it's so good to see you guys this morning. Had the privilege of marrying Wesley last night. It was a beautiful ceremony. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Now, a few years ago, the New York Times wrote an article talking about the difficulty that movie companies have in creating Christmas movies. They say the difficult part is that people want both sentimentality and cynicism in their Christmas movies. So the days of It's a Wonderful Life are gone. People don't identify with that type of movie. Now, if that's your favorite Christmas movie, I apologize. I'm just strictly stating what the article said. I'm not bashing It's a Wonderful Life. But instead, what we saw is in the late 80s and in the 90s and even today, is that most of the movies that you will find that have a Christmas theme carry both some sentimental Christmas spirit theme, but also some cynicism. I think some of the best examples would be Clark W. Griswold. Because he is the true family man who wants to have the perfect Christmas for his family. And yet... As you know, every single thing goes wrong. We find in that movie major family dysfunction. We all have an Aunt Bethany, and we all have a Cousin Eddie. So we can identify with the Griswolds, and that's why that movie was so big, even today now when they show it on TV. And then a few years later, you had Home Alone, Kevin McAllister, getting ready for a big family trip to Paris to visit family, only to realize, once they're on the plane, that they left little Kevin home alone. And then a more modern-day one, Elf. Walter Hobbs, this driven book editor, finds out that he has a son that he was unaware of. But the son lived at the North Pole and was an elf. And so we see in that story both Christmas spirit and also family dysfunction. And that's what the New York Times article is pointing out. That's what people want today in their Christmas movies. But when we get to Matthew chapter 1 today, we see the very same thing. We see a sentimental, nostalgic story of Jesus being born, but also many people view this story with intense cynicism. So we're going to begin reading in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. It'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved 
to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In our Advent time this morning, the furs reminded us of the love of Jesus. And I believe in this passage this morning, there are four truths about the love of Jesus directly from the text that I want to share with you. Number one, the love of Jesus had miraculous beginnings. One of the biggest doubts that skeptics have about Christianity is regarding the virgin birth. It's difficult to understand. Yet, Matthew tells us here that the baby Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. This takes us all the way back to what we find in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, when the Holy Spirit is actively involved in the creation of the entire world, just like the Holy Spirit is actively involved in the birth of Jesus. Many people cannot fathom a virgin birth. But I would challenge you and anyone else that you know who struggles with this claim that we as Christians make is to not begin with the virgin birth. You should always begin with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you can get somebody to believe that after three days being dead in a tomb, Jesus was risen from the dead, then certainly they can believe in a virgin birth. Certainly they can believe that God could heal somebody of paralysis, cast out demons, cure leprosy. So I would suggest that you begin with the resurrection of Jesus. If people are willing to believe the greatest miracle of all time, then suddenly the virgin birth becomes very possible. What we see in this miraculous beginning is both the full humanity of Jesus on display and his full divinity. You see, for Jesus to be able to identify with us as human beings, he had to be born the exact same way that you and I were born. Every human being that has ever entered the world has come through a female. And so in the birth of Jesus, we find that Jesus is able to identify with our humanity. But at the same time, he's also fully divine. Because the Holy Spirit places him in Mary's womb. Having a healthy understanding of Jesus' humanity and his divinity is crucial to understand who Jesus is. At the same time, it's important to know that our sin was so profound, our guilt before God is so great, that it was the work of the Holy Spirit 
that allowed Mary to conceive. Because had Joseph and Mary been responsible for conceiving Jesus, they would have played a role in the redemption of humanity. And we know that that can't be the case. Our sin was so great that a Savior had to come from the outside. It had to be something that God did. Because in our own flesh, we can never be right with God. So we have this miraculous beginning. Sentimental value. And for many people, a cynical story. But the love of Jesus begins with this miraculous virgin birth. It's mysterious. We don't understand it in our finite minds. And yet, God said, this is the way my son will be born into the world. We also know that the love of Jesus is full of human problems. Now, engagement in the ancient world is not like the engagement you and I are used to today. So Mary and Joseph didn't date for a period of time and then have an engagement and then become married. It was vastly different. The text tells us here in Matthew that Joseph is already Mary's husband. So they had already entered into this binding contract. And then after a period of engagement, Mary would leave her family's home and go to live with Joseph and his family in a public ceremony. Matthew paints a very positive portrait of Joseph here. He tells us that Joseph was so concerned about Mary that he was just going to dismiss her away quietly. The Old Testament teaches that sexual infidelity in ancient Israel was punishable by death. Now, by the time the Romans come on the scene, they outlaw the Jewish death penalty. But had Joseph wanted to, he could have dragged Mary out in front of the whole city, had a big public trial, and embarrassed her. And yet, we don't see Joseph doing that here. What I love about Matthew's account is the rawness of it. He really lets us look deep inside Mary and Joseph's thought process, the interactions that they were having with one another. It's full of scandal, secrecy, even shame. And yet what we find is that humans are full of all of those characteristics. This has the makings right here of a modern day soap opera. And yet this is the world that Jesus chose to come into. He brought himself into the middle of a world full of human beings who have major dysfunction. And he said, I love you anyways. Lisa Brennan Jobs is the daughter of Apple founder Steve Jobs. And just this past year, she wrote a memoir talking about what it was like growing up as the daughter of one of the most famous tech savvy men in the history of the world. She talked about how difficult it was living in his shadow. In fact, for the longest time, she says, Jobs did not even acknowledge that he was her daughter. A DNA test later proved that she, in fact, was his, and he would show up from time to time, take her ice skating, take her to do fun things, but she never had a great relationship with her father. In fact, the Lisa computer 
which was one of the very first computers that Apple ever created. He went the majority of her life denying that that computer was actually named after her. Until one day he was on a yacht trip, because when you're a billionaire you can own a yacht. And he was with the famous U2 lead singer Bono. And Bono asked Jobs this question. Did you name the Lisa computer after your daughter? And for the first time, with Lisa sitting right there, Jobs confessed to Bono, yes, I named it after her. But for so many years, she said, she felt no love, no affirmation from her father. And yet in this instant moment when he was willing to admit that he named one of his most successful computers after her, she felt for the first time validity and identity that she had been wanting her whole life. Human beings, we are full of dysfunction. Now I know as we approach Christmas that maybe for some of us in this room, going home for Christmas or having people over for Christmas Day is not always a fun experience. Maybe there's a damaged relationship with a parent, with a sibling, with a son or daughter. But I'm here to remind you this morning that if you are in Christ, your identity cannot be found in human relationships. They must be placed in Jesus Christ alone. And so in this story, we find the love of Jesus. Jesus himself brought into the world in the midst of major family dysfunction. And then we see that the love of Jesus is the only solution to our sin. Not only do the angel tell Mary and Joseph that you're going to have a son, he tells them you are going to get to name him. So Mary and Joseph play an active role in naming Jesus. And the significance of the name is that he will save his people from their sins. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a Muslim. I was talking to him about Christianity and telling him the differences and I said, Christianity is the only religion where you are not required to perform in order to make yourself right before God. And he was thinking about this. And he said, I'm going to think about leaving Islam and coming and following after Jesus. And what I want to tell you this morning is, your identity in Christ can never be achieved. It can only be received. There are so many of us, even believers in Jesus Christ, even though we know faith is in Jesus Christ, we still perform, thinking that somehow that's going to make us right with God. And yet Jesus tells us in the New Testament, and Matthew tells us here, Jesus is the only one who can save his people from their sins. I love this quote by somebody that you've never heard me quote before. That would be a joke. The main human problems often are that we miss 
identify what will make us happy, and we ask people and things to save us beyond their ability. So I ask you this morning, what are you looking to to give you happiness? Is it a relationship with a family member? Is it your career? Is it a Super Bowl win in 2020? Or no, 2019. Sorry, I forget what year it is. And then at the same time, what people or things are we asking to save us beyond their ability? Your material possessions, your relationship with family, spouse, siblings, son and daughter, they will all go away. The only one that can save us, that can give us eternal life in heaven forever, is Jesus Christ. Everything else will fade away. So when we talk with people who are questioning the claims of Christianity, we need to make sure that they understand there is no performance before Jesus that will make you right with Him. His performance for you is what makes you right with Him. When He paid the price on the cross for every single sin that you have committed and that you will commit. When Matthew is writing here, he's using the future tense. He says, who will save us from our sins? The good news for us is we live on the other side of history. Jesus has already accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for you to be right with God. All that he asks that you do is accept it. Accept Jesus. You don't have to have everything in the world figured out before you come to Jesus. Just believe that what he did on the cross paid the price for your sin. He is the only solution to the sin problem that we have. Stop performing. Stop achieving. Stop thinking that your deeds make you right with God. We also see that the love of Jesus has costly consequences. Now for you and I, the consequences are great. We can receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. But for Jesus, it cost him everything. You know, another interesting difference between Christianity and all of the other world religions is no other God came down among His people to save them. Every other God remains distant from its followers. Jesus is the only one who came to earth in the flesh and mourned and ate with and served and ultimately died for His people. No other God can make that claim. Every other religion teaches that you work as hard as you possibly can, and then maybe in the end, that God will save you. Jesus identifies in every single way with what you experience. I can't emphasize that enough. The pain, the anger, the frustration, the anxiety that you as a human being feel. Jesus Christ felt that on this earth. 
there is nothing that he cannot identify with. And yet for him, it was very costly. You see, many people have this idea that Jesus is sitting up on his throne with his arms crossed. And he's waiting for us to mess up so he can say, I told you so. This is not the God that we serve. The God that we serve identifies with us. He walks with us. He wants to do life with us on a daily basis. And when we mess up, we can ask forgiveness. And He gives it to us every single time. And when we succeed, He'll love us and congratulate us. But He'll also remind us that He's the reason we succeeded. The Word became flesh, John tells us, and dwelt among us. That is the true meaning and spirit of Christmas. That God came to be with us. So as we go to our next party today, as we begin the family celebrations, we need to remember that Emmanuel, God with us, is why we celebrate Christmas. And we can all pray that people we know in our lives that are not followers of Jesus would see that it is not about our own effort that makes us right with God. It is about following after Jesus Christ. He is the one that we worship because of what He did for us on the cross. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for your love for us. I pray this afternoon and this holiday season that we would rest in the fact that we know you did everything that was required for us to have relationship with God. Thank you for that truth. God, your love is so great. It is so deep. It is so much more than we can even comprehend. And I pray this morning for somebody in this audience who doesn't think that they are worth your love, help them to see that you love them. Thank you for all of the ways that you work. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.